Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Your welcome is brought to you for free today by our friends at Bet Online. It's almost March, and you know what that means, college basketball fans. Who doesn't love a good bracket challenge? Guys, get in the mix at betonline.ag. Use the promo code PODCAST1 and you will get a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Uncle Jim, Uncle Jim, there's no bad guy like Uncle Jim, never lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed, oh yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Jim, Uncle Jim. Lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed. Oh, yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Jill. Uncle Jill, there's no bad guy like Uncle Jill. Never lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed. Oh, yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Jill. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. So, Max Kellerman, who, in my opinion, is the single greatest boxing announcer in the history of boxing. I really believe that. Max Kellerman came out and said, And this was in relation to Tyson Fury getting over on Deontay Wilder. And somebody had said to Max, okay, it's official. Fury is now the baddest man in the world. And Max corrected them to say, well, the baddest man in the world is the UFC heavyweight champion. That was his quote. Of course, he's talking about Stipe Miocic. Now, this was very interesting because this was a change in perception to the highest of levels. Okay, Max is a boxing guy. He became an MMA guy, but he was still very loyal to boxing. And it took a while. For this statement to be made. I mean, Max has been covering this sport for a meaningful period of time, and it was also almost blasphemy against himself, against his own beliefs and his own ideology to come out and acknowledge that it's Stipe, that Stipe is the baddest man alive. Whoever the heavyweight champion is, is better than whoever the boxing champion is. And so many people thought it was an about face, and it made some boxers mad, it made some MMA people feel really good. You know, I think there's actually something a little bit deeper here. I don't know how much of an about face that was by Max. Let me explain what I meant. I remember growing up, my father believed, which meant I believed, whoever the Olympic champion was in wrestling was the baddest guy alive, but we weren't sure we were right. It might be the greatest boxer. We didn't know, was it, is it Bruce Baumgartner, the wrestling champion, or is it Mike Tyson, the boxing champion? We didn't know for sure, but we were sure it was one of those two. I would tell you this, at the beginning of the UFC, If you wanted to go back, I'm not sure it would have been Tyson Fury. The point I'm attempting to make is it's not necessarily that Max came around as much as, and it was a tremendous sign of respect by Max. I'm welcoming that respect by Max. I'm just sharing with you. This isn't that Max had a correct an ideal that he has had since 1993. Because I don't know that it would have been true in 1993 or 95, or 97. It does seem to me that there was a time and a place where Tyson Fury could walk into the octagon with those skills and do very well. I don't know that he'd be champion, but I'm not looking to hash that out either. I'm just looking to prove the level of athlete over time in mixed martial arts, particularly if you go all the way back to 1993, just the level of athlete, let alone the skills and the tactics and the techniques, has grown tremendously. So if you were a boxing enthusiast from the Golden Gloves to the Olympic Games, onto the professional squared circle. You would have every reasonable right to be under the opinion that this is a superior athlete, a superior combat athlete, a superior fighter, and ultimately the baddest man in the world. At some point in time, you really would. So I think that just because the sport caught up and the athleticism caught up, and they proved their point and they got to the masses, 
I think that Max, I don't think that boxing fans should be upset with Max. That's what I'm saying. And I don't think that Max is getting a lot of pushback for this. I think Max is getting a lot of praise largely from MMA. I'm just sharing with you, for me, I remember having that same time in my life. And I don't feel like I was ever a traitor to MMA. I was just recognizing that there was other sports that were more polished, that had been along longer, that had more strategies, different coaching, and better athletes. Now, if you were to tell me that Stipe and, and Fury walk into an alley, who's going to walk out? I don't think anybody's going to bet against Stipe that has any reasonable sense. But at the same time, if you tell me that Fury doesn't matter, that wouldn't be true. Fury chose his score, uh, sport. He chose his skill set. He chose the rules he's going to compete under. And he became the best in the world. They both deserve respect. But ultimately, Max Kellerman's right. The baddest man in the world is the mixed martial arts heavyweight champion, not the pure boxing champion. Guys, I must tell you, I'm nothing short of surprised at the pushback that Jose Aldo is getting for receiving a title shot against Henry Cejudo. Not only a title shot, but a main event, home country of Brazil. A lot of things going Jose's way. But there does seem to be a real jealousy here. And I, I, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that you're using logic. I know you're attempting to present your arguments through logic. Logic being that Jose Aldo's been, only been at 135 pounds one time and that he's never won a fight. He's 0-1. I, I understand that being the logic, but you're, you're having a hard time convincing me that that's what you truly believe as much as that's just the argument that you've chosen because of jealousy because of some kind of envy for Jose. Look, Jose Aldo's the greatest featherweight of all time. 10 years on top, never beaten. And he did a really great job. By the way, Henry Cejudo wants to fight him. Henry's, Henry's opinion has to matter somewhere in here. We cannot punish guys for success. We cannot just say you're the champion and therefore your say and your opinion and your wants and needs go out the window and you just fight the number one guy. That's just a little bit of a silly argument. A guy that does some heavy lifting like Henry and went and became a champ champ and saved an entire division, and this is the guy that he wants, and you've got Henry's blessing. Oh, and by the, sec- by the way, the second best guy in line, Marlon, Henry already fought. I understand that Jose won the decision over Marlon. I don't even care to rehash that. I will share with you I was in the building. I will share with you there's a focus group of 10,000-plus people, and 10,000-plus people did not agree with that decision. Now, that's not the way the game is played, and I don't want to start flipping the script and that's how it should be played, and whoever the fans believe one or the media thinks, I get it. We follow the rules. But please do understand, some guys are just very close. I mean, sometimes there's just a very close fight where you come out of that and you go, you know what? The only thing that I can do here that would be any form of reasonably rational is to give them both an opportunity. See Ultimate Fighter 1. The rules were very clearly explained to everybody. Whoever wins this tournament goes into the UFC with a six-figure contract. Very clearly explained. You get into the finals. You have Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin give the single greatest fight that had ever taken place up to that moment and still goes down as one of the single greatest fights to ever go down. Dana White gets in the ring and says, you know what? You're both getting contract. I'm bringing you both over. And they both had their moment in the sun. They both had co-main event fights. They both had main event fights. Forrest had world championship fights and became a world champion and a Hall of Famer. I'm just sharing with you that there is a history for this. Sometimes guys are so close and the performance is so good, you want to just give them both an opportunity. And I realize that we're grandfathering Marlon's opportunity in because it had already happened. I understand those things. I even understand the Peter Yawn. But at no point in any of this is anybody putting down Peter Yawn. But when you do, do go by the rankings, you know, look, one through three, and in all fairness, one through five, you're saying the same thing. If a guy's ranked number one and isn't given the opportunity, but number three is, it's, that's the same thing. You're splitting hairs when you're that good. I mean, you're talking about millimeters apart. And if Marlon, who already fought Henry, and they're not looking to do that immediate rematch for whatever reason. And guys, in all fairness, we haven't been demanding that either. And all of a sudden, we're going to act like we're outraged because that's not happening. Marlon will get his shot for sure. For sure. Imagine Jose Aldo beats Henry. Marlon slides right into it with the controversy that all of this has created. For sure, it goes to Marlon. 
And by the way, you got this Peter Yawns coming, and we can keep playing this game, right? We can start talking. We can go left, right, and center coming up with guys. You got San hanging in there, and Frankie's dropping down. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts at 135 pounds, as there is with all weight classes. But before we get too upset, that the greatest featherweight of all time, who, by the way, has shown tremendous dedication, tremendous discipline, a lifestyle change, and just quite possibly had a decision go the wrong way against him, quite possibly, to show him a level of respect by giving him an opportunity and then to act as though there is something unjust or unhandled or inappropriate about that just because you're seeing one number separated in the rank. I don't, I don't know that I agree. And I like the purest angle of it. I do understand that this is a competition first and a show second. I understand that that is what preserves the integrity. I get that. But I think that you would then have to also be open to listening to me when I tell you Marlon was given that opportunity. And I'm not saying that Marlon was given it once and therefore he won't get it again. Marlon's going to get it again. Marlon's a straight-up killer. And he's going to do even better with Cejudo than he did the first time. And he won rounds against Cejudo in the first one. Marlon's great. But there's something to be said for some fresh blood. And there's something to be said for giving a veteran like Jose Aldo that had 10 years undefeated, a weight class above, doesn't even need to be doing this sport anymore, truly loves it, has showed his dedication through a lifestyle change, an absolute focus, disciplined lifestyle change to get that weight off, go out, perform fantastically. Whether you think he beat Marlon or you don't think he beat Marlon, we can all agree it was very close, and we can all agree that Marlon is awesome. So to push back on Jose Aldo, guys, I'm going to need a better reason. I'm going to need a reason that's true. And I do not believe the truth is that anybody can come to the table and say that Jose Aldo does not qualify for a world title fight on any given day. And as of now, over two different weight classes, you could bump the son of a bitch up to 145 and he could say he was going to go regain, uh, regain his throne there. Particularly when you have a new striker in the division in Volkanovski. I mean, I'm just, there's some opportunities here for Aldo. This is not wild and this is not crazy. You do not get to punish Henry Cejudo. And by the way, if you think that you're giving Henry what he asked for and you're upset about that, Henry's crazy ass went and requested Jose Aldo. When's the last time you ever heard those words? I'll answer the question for you. You've heard it once in your whole life and it was Conor McGregor. Nobody has ever called out Jose Aldo except Henry. So for any of you anti-Triple C fans, to think Henry just got a gift given to him. The gift is named Jose Aldo. How happy can you really be about getting locked in a steel cage with that animal? It's almost March, and you know what that means, college basketball fans. College basketball's elite teams are now fighting for that lower seed come tournament time. Can you feel the madness? As exciting as that is, the NBA now starts the home stretch as teams are now watching their playoff fortunes closely. Finally, whoever expected XFL to be this fun? Love the rule changes and the passion? It's just a great time. I want you all to visit our friends and the exclusive partners of Podcast One. Go to betonline.ag. Set up a free account. Just use the promo code PODCAST1. That's PODCAST O-N-E for a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online your online sportsbook experts, and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Tyson Fury's father came out. And I've, I've seen a number of interviews with this gentleman. And I think that he is a little bit of a worker. That is my sense. He will do some stuff to get people riled up. He will do some stuff that sometimes seems a little more sincere. But anything that he does does seem to capture a headline. And he's either... An unintentionally really smart guy, or he's a worker. I got no problem with either, but when he speaks, I do tend to take the time to go in and read the articles or click on the button, hear what he has to say. So he came out and he was talking about his son. Talking about Tyson, and he said, I want Tyson to retire. And there's a lot on that. When a guy wants to retire, and this is not Tyson wanting to retire, but one of the most influential human beings in his life is now come out and said he wants him to retire. His dad had very good reasons, though. And none of them came from a place of arrogance. None of these were a pill that was hard to swallow. His dad just came out and said, look, he's done this five times. He's proven everything that could possibly be proven, and he made his money. By the way, he's one of the lucky ones, and his father's a former boxer, in case you guys aren't 
aren't familiar with Mr. Fury. He came out and said, by the way, this is boxing. He's got kids at home. He's got a wife. He's one of the few boxers who still has his wits and his sense and hasn't taken too many punches. Most of us stay in there too long. My son has an opportunity. I think that opportunity is now, and I don't think he ever needs to do this again. I'd rather see him not do it again. It is a very interesting thing because where's Tyson going to go but down? Right? I mean, that last fight was huge. ESPN carried that fight, $25 million each, equal nations clause, $50 million up for grabs. Unless he could get a fight with Anthony Joshua, which there's only certain parts of the world that are clamoring to see that fight. I can share with you as a North American fan, yes, that would be the, the biggest fight that we could make right now, but it's still all not that big of a fight. And this is one of the things you get with boxing. You get, a, you get a good big fight every two years. I will acknowledge that's the biggest fight. I'd love to see that fight. I'd stop what I was doing. I'd buy it. Count on me. But it's still not that big of a fight. Tyson Fury is very well known throughout North America. Anthony Joshua is not. And that pains boxers when I say that. I read the comments. I I hear you. It pains you. It's still true all the same. I get a hold of a picture of Anthony Joshua right now. And most of you go, oh, that's Anthony Joshua. What's he? He's a boxer? Yeah, he's a boxer. He's a great boxer. But he's not all that predominant here in North America. Now, that fight still works. Look, I get it. That fight still works. I'm just sharing a simple point that if we aren't fighting for money, if we aren't fighting for legacy, if we aren't fighting for championships, what are we fighting for? And if we're fighting for pure competition, that's as good of reason as any, possibly even the best reason. But that really is all that would be at stake if Fury stuck around and went against Joshua. Joshua has avoided Deontay Wilder to the highest of levels for the longest of times. Joshua has spent the last X amount of time, a year roughly, doing this Anthony Ruiz business, which was just silly. I mean, it was just absolutely silly. Oh, and by the way, he went one and one. It's a little bit of a tougher sell at this point. To make believe, I don't think that Tyson Fury is a guy that's going to give into playground antics of you're scared, you're retiring because you're scared, you don't want to fight this guy, when it's Anthony Joshua who all he does is not fight guys. I think that that's going to be a little bit of a tough push. And I certainly wouldn't call for somebody's retirement, but I do think when somebody's father calls for a retirement... At least if you're a betting man, you're going to have to give some consideration to that. If a guy's father calls for a retirement, a guy who, by the way, has a ton of good memories, who, by the way, has a great story, who, by the way, is beloved, who, by the way, has championships, and, by the way, is filthy rich, I think you got to figure 25% of that pie is solved right there. The other 75% comes to sitting down and talking and seeing what options are and seeing what the son wants to do. But if what the son wants to do is go fight Anthony Joshua when Anthony Joshua won't even fight Deontay Wilder and Fury just stomped out Wilder, I think it's a little bit of a tough sell. And I offer you this as a foreshadow, if you will, that should he retire, Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn are going to come out within 10 minutes and say, of course you retired because you didn't want to fight us. They would be fools to not do that. Now, Anthony is a fool, but Eddie is not. So that statement will get made as a chance to either lure Tyson back or to just shine up Anthony Joshua. Either way, when a guy steps away, you don't just tip your hat to him. You make sure he passes the torch and you get a little bit of rub off him. That's the business. So I am foreshadowing for you that before any of you fall for the statement that will be put out at some point by matchstick boxing, wisely so in all fairness, that he retired because he doesn't want to fight Anthony Joshua. Before any of you fall for any of that, just remember that Joshua's been fighting Ruiz, refused to fight Deontay, and won't even say the name, Tyson Fury. Joe Rogan had made a statement on his podcast, and he was talking about uh, Dominic Reyes, John Jones, and he's, he's saying that that's the fight he wants to see, and he wants to see it next. And he was just talking about what a great fight it was. He complimented both guys. But he came to the ultimate conclusion that Reyes will fight better next time, having that experience, knowing what he knows now, having this new confidence, knowing what he needs to fix, that he's going to fight better and that he's hungry. And he also questioned John Jones's motivation. In fact, I think his exact words were, I questioned John Jones's 
motivation. He didn't elaborate on that. But I want to elaborate on that because I've had the same damn thought about John Jones for about eight years now, where I keep questioning how motivated is this guy going to be? And you'll do that with some athletes, right? I think the bullet would qualify as that. I think Chris Cyborg would fall into that category where you have so much success for so long. How many times do you want to climb that mountain? You already know what it looks like at the top. You've already had that fulfillment. And I think this is obvious that when Joe says it and when I say it, and I think of myself as a very competitive guy, and I know that Joe's a very competitive guy. But I think that I'm really giving you an introspection to myself saying, I wanted to be world champion. I did all the sacrifice, worked really hard. But I don't know if I wanted to be world champion for 11 years. I mean, that's a very real thing. There's a wrestler who I admire tremendously, the greatest American wrestler of all time. His name is John Smith. And if you ask any other wrestler you think there's any debate here, they'll all tell you it's John Smith. The answer to who the best American is of all time is John Smith. And John Smith won two Olympic Games, completed his career after the second. Olympic gold medal in 1992, and he shows up to Olympic training camp in 1996, and he shows up in a coaching role. He's only 31 years old. He's wrestling every day because he's the head coach at Oklahoma State. He goes into training camp with the current Olympians, and he cleans house. Absolutely destroys everybody who's getting ready to go to the Olympics. One weight up, his weight class, one weight down, destroys all of them. And other coaches pull him aside. And of those coaches, one of them was my coach. And my coach is the one that told me the story, but he told John Smith, you could have made the Olympic team. And John said, oh yeah, I know that. He said, but I, I don't want to work hard enough to win the gold medal. And my coach, who was John Smith's old friend and roommate, said, uh, hey, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, I know I could make the team, but I also know what it takes to bring home a gold medal. I did that for six straight years. I don't want to work that hard again. And I'm not going to take an opportunity in a spot and get on an airplane and go to the Olympics unless I'm going to bring home the gold. And I'm telling you now, I'm not willing to do the work to bring home the gold. That was the story. That's it. But I've taken that with me because that is a very real thing. And if you look at John Jones, who when the going gets tough, could let up at any point and nobody will ever question what a wonderful career he had. He is willing to walk through that fire. He is willing to push through whatever he has to push through to make sure that he gets his hand raised. I mean, this is the toughest, this is the best competitor. I'm not ready to say he's the greatest fighter. I hear a lot of people saying this is he's the greatest fighter of all time. I, I do not believe that he has passed up George St. Pierre with his skills or his athleticism or his understanding of the sport. But if you want to talk about who the toughest fighter of all time is, and you want to say it's John Jones, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with you. So when you begin to question his motivation, as Joe did, I'm in the same spot. I'm in the same spot. But two plus two does not equal four with some guys. It just doesn't. Dennis Rodman, who you might recall. I mean, Dennis Rodman is the most decorated athlete to be a little bit what we call undisciplined, to reach the stardom and the level that John Jones has. John Jones is doing it in 2019. Dennis Rodman did it in 1989. That's how far back you have to go. There are some rules, absolute rules, but they're not laws. They're not laws. It's not like physics. They're not. But there are rules on what you have to do, and if you do not do them, if you do not check those boxes, you're just not going to be champion. Then, apparently every 30 years, goes from Rodman to Jones, there's somebody who comes along. Look, my father was a horseman. And he bought a horse named Sunvest. And he was told to buy this horse from a very well-known trainer. And the trainer said, go claim this horse. Bring him to me. I'm the only one that knows how to train this horse. Nobody else can train him. I will make that horse a champion. Mark my words. So my father went and bought the horse. And the horse run five straight races, which tied a track record. Lost for its sixth race, which would have been the track record. Lost a photo finish. Came back, won three more races, got claimed. And became somebody else's horse, never won another race, never came in the top three. So my dad asked the trainer, by the way, what is your secret to training Sunvest? Told me only you know how to do it. You proved that you were right. But what is it? And Tex Irwin was the trainer's name. And Tex told my dad, he said, Sunvest does not like to train. You get him up in the morning, you don't run him, not once. You walk him around the track, just let him see the track. Put him back in the stable. Feed him water and be nice to him. Bring him out on race day. He will dump all that energy that all the other horses spent preparing for the race. He'll put it all in on game day. And he did. 
And there's some guys that are like that. And if you've got X amount of energy, you know, I'm convinced a guy's athletic career, I, I always compare it to bullets in a gun because I think it's an example that you guys would understand, but at some point you're going to fire that last bullet. And for some guy, whether it was Sunvest, whether it's John Jones, and I'll go all the way to, to Dennis Rodman, some guys save it. Some guys don't leave it on the road. Some guys don't leave it in the gym. And that's a very real thing. Some of the hardest work, there's a real balance in hard work and dedication and discipline. Some of the hardest workers that I ever knew, it did not translate into competition. They were too worn out. They ground themselves down. There is a real balance there on doing just enough. Now that's going to be a lot. That's going to be hard. Just enough is going to be very hard. This is not a way of being lazy and getting out of it. But there's also a time to pull back. And some guys will go on and write books and they'll call it peaking. But I'm going to call it a balance. There is a balance there. And if you're one of these guys who does not want to get it up every single day and grind every single day and you identify that within yourself, but you make yourself the same deal that on competition night, I will empty that chamber no matter what. If you can do that and you have the discipline to do it like John does, I don't know that questioning his motivation as much as I'm with Joe. I'm not questioning Joe on this. I think it was a very good observation by Joe. But I think as Joe says it and I say it, I think we're probably more talking about ourselves than we are John. Rules don't appear to apply to John Jones. They just don't. They just don't. I don't even know if I fully agree that the Reyes fight will be harder the second time. I think that Reyes did learn some stuff. I think Reyes, as much as he was saying it going into the John Jones fight, he was trying to convince us. He was also trying to convince himself. That's a very real thing. I think Reyes, in many ways, probably surprised himself. Wow, I really am that good. I think he probably surprised himself. Wow, this guy's going to have a hard time taking me down. I can get off the bottom from this guy. I think he surprised himself. And could that be beneficial? Yes. But the same could go for John. Did John underestimate Reyes? I talked to some people in John's, uh, John Jones's camp. Talked to them the day of the fight, ran to them on accident at Starbucks, says, does John believe he's in a hard fight tonight? And they said, you bet he does. You bet he does. John has worked his ass off for this. He is not overlooking Reyes. If that is true, maybe there's not a lot of room for John to gain. But either way, you do have to go back to the fact that John won that fight. And we can sit and argue about it all we want. John won that fight. One, one, one ref thought he, or judge thought he won four rounds. It might be as simple as taking those two guys as quickly as possible and put them in a, di- a different jurisdiction. Let them go have that exact same fight, but let three other Poindexters at ringside decide who won. It's a good match. And we've known that we were going to have this fight, guys. We knew that this was going to be fought out between John Blahovich and Dominic Reyes. And they were going to have to fight it out in the media for who gets the opportunity. I, I don't have a great sense of which way the wind is blowing. And I can tell you, for me, I like both fights, and I want John to get his opportunity. I firmly believe that Blahovich has earned that opportunity. And there is something special about this sport when the right guy gets his shot. But to make believe that Dom Reyes didn't do the exact same thing and perhaps suffer an injustice, if you're just looking to do what is right, I think you've got a real hard decision to make. And I don't see Jan Blahovich going anywhere, and I don't see anything wrong with letting him sit on ice. He's never fought either one of these guys. There could be something special about keeping Jan back. And I know that's not typically how this game is played, but there could be in this unique situation something special about keeping Jan back, letting Dom and John go out and handle business with Blahovich to get the winner. The risk there, which again is why... Why the game isn't played this way. What happens if Reyes wins? If Reyes wins, he now owes John Jones a fight. He now owes him a trilogy. And they're likely to do that. But the larger message here isn't to try to figure out where the pieces are going to fall. The larger message here is that there is an argument on just how damn many pieces there are when it was only one month ago That division was in such shambles that John himself was thinking about leaving it. He was calling up a middleweight in Adesanya to come be his dance partner. He was talking about moving on and going to fighting Stipe. Now, he's got a lot of great options. Light heavyweight has been saved. That is ultimately 
the message, the fun that Blahovich and Reyes are going to have unfold in front of us to try to get the mandate, I'm looking forward to it. Little Nog came out and said that he would probably retire after his trilogy fight coming up with Shogun. And I got to tell you, contrary to popular belief, I don't have any heat with the Noguera brothers. Not any real heat. I mean, both those guys are kind of dicks to me when I see them, but I don't, I don't wish either one of them poorly. But it does remind me of the old Ron, Rodney Dangerfield bit, where he comes out and he says, I retired for two years and nobody knew. Little Nog announcing that he's going to retire after he fights Shogun the third time is how I knew that Little Nog wasn't retired. How Are you telling me Little Nog still fights? In mixed martial arts? And this isn't Chael trying to be funny in the league. I had no, no I had no idea. How would I know? How would I possibly know? I've seen no evidence of that. I can't recall the last time that he had a match. I can't recall the last time that he's ever been booked for a match and he didn't pull out of the match for some reason after, by the way, coincidentally, after the posters and the press releases and everything gets put out. I mean, a little bit too much of a coincidence when it happens that many times, right? They start booking him lower and lower and lower on cards because you can't count on the guy. But eventually somebody finally figured out the scam that he was pulling. I mean, it's been a, a remarkable run of fight announcements juxtaposed against how many times he actually made the walk. And believe it or not, I'm not looking to be a jerk to Little Nog. I respect his skills tremendously. I was cheering for him when he wanted to go and be the Olympic boxer For Brazil, when was that? 2012? 2008 when he was doing that? It was a lot of fun. And frankly, I don't ever remember him not winning. He'd had like three or four fights and I followed him and he won them all. I thought, man, this guy just might make the Olympic team. And the games were going to be in Rio and it was this whole, yeah, 2012, the games were in Rio. He was looking to be the representative. I mean, I'm actually a Nog fan if you want to know the truth, but I thought that he stopped fighting years ago. So yes, if he's going to fight Shogun and God bless him and, and wish them both well, all that all that's nice stuff you're supposed to say, I would like to say it with 80% sincerity and a little 20% chip on my shoulder because him and his brother are such pricks to me every time I run into him. But it does remind me of the Dangerfield line. I retired for two years and nobody knew. It's like, little Nog, what are you coming back after two years, but you never announced your retirement in the first place? I mean, let me let me just share with you, Little Knock. You're retired. You've been retired, but this is a comeback fight. This is absolutely a comeback fight. It's about the eighth comeback fight that you've had. Between all the drama and all the made-up stories, I don't know if the guy's ever been hurt. I see the guy all the time. I've never seen him with ice on his shoulder. I've never seen an arm ripped up or a leg in a cast. I have seen him sign a whole bunch of contracts, wait until the posters go up, and then make a phone call and say, I'm not showing up that day. But by the way, thanks for a quarter million dollars in media. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. So I guess Little Knox fighting Shogun. A third time. Apparently they've already fought twice. Who knew? You're listening to You're Welcome with Jail Sonnen. Listen up. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners and your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, see how much you can save. That's Geico.com. Geico.com. Average eight hours of sleep per night? Check. Eat quality plant-based diet? Check. Exercise four times a week or more? Check. Basically, you're doing everything right to ensure you live a long life. So it's time to be financially rewarded for your commitment to health. Guys, I want to introduce you to Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you for life insurance. If you're a runner, a cyclist, or into CrossFit, or really any type of athlete, even a committed weekend warrior, if you're a vegetarian, if you're a vegan, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work 
with affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you over 40% because physically active people have significant lower risks of heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying, finding the policy, making sure it's underwritten by a top insurance partner. Plus, these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You're not going to find them anywhere else. And you must qualify to get the special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash chael. Take the survey. Depending on your score... As well as other qualifying factors, you can save over 40% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash chael to let them know we sent you and start the process with Health IQ by doing a quiz. There's no commitment and you're going to learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle. One more time. That's healthiq.com slash Chael. Now, back to your welcome with Chael Sonnen. Well, well, well. It looks like the Tito Alberto Del Rio fight has been changed to a no decision. Now, I must tell you, I have the foggiest idea what's going on here. As a matter of fact, if there's anything to bring to you, it's that in the first time of athletic commissions reversing a decision and launching an investigation, they are refusing to say why they've reversed the decision, what they're looking into, and what it is that they're investigating. Generally, you have a tremendous level of transparency. You have transparency because these are not businesses. These are funded by taxpayers, and where the taxpayer dollar is going is something that they have to reveal. So the mere fact that they didn't reveal, in large part, is the bigger story and possibly the only story. Let's look at what we know. And then we'll have some fun and speculate. But let's look at what we know. We know that as of right now, Tito's submission victory over Alberto Del Rito is officially being called a no decision. Now, that's interesting because if you're going to speculate and try to have some fun and just try to guess with your friends what's actually going on here as the Texas Athletic Commission keeps us in this world of limbo. It's not a disqualification. That's interesting. They're not trying to disqualify Tito. They're not trying to no contest this whole event. Now, whenever Alberto Del Rio comes to the table, it is very fair to guess that there's going to be a work happening here. I mean, after all, this is a professional wrestler. So if you just want to have uh, fun and speculate that these two cooperated with one, one another and through the fight, I think you have a little bit of a problem with the evidence that we do have, which is that it's being called a no decision, not a no contest. And largely it appears that it's something on Tito's side because a no decision would take away from Tito. It wouldn't take away from Del Rio. That would help Del Rio or whatever, almost like it never happened. Didn't lose, didn't tap to Tito. Tito is then going to have a victory that comes down. So it appears that there's something a foot on Tito's side of it, based on the very limited information that we have. Now, I like to go to the kids on the underground forum. And on the underground, they had largely speculated that this was a drug test failure by Tito or perhaps a drug test failure by Tito. I'm not seeing any evidence of that. In fact, I'm seeing evidence to the contrary. And I'll only tell you what that is, which is this fight, off of my recollection, but took place back in November. For a very sophisticated test, take like USADA level, that could take up to 30 days to get back. And if something was to come back, they might have it in 18 to 21 days. But if something was to come back that was irregular, they would then go test what's called the B sample. And they could have both those, A sample and B sample, done back and be very close to a resolution, if not at minimum, a red flag. Within 30 days. That's for a sophisticated, that's for an USADA level sophisticated test. For a state commission test, which is far less sophisticated, you're looking at a lot closer to 72 hours. And at a snail's pace, you're looking at one week. So if you had to go test a B sampler or something along these lines, you're talking about another three days. And at a snail's pace a week, this fight was way back in November. So I I really don't think that there's any evidence, and I don't even think there's a fairness to speculate at this point that Tito did anything wrong in terms of a drug test. 
I think that my previous, perhaps, speculation of Alberto Del Rio and Tito going out there and doing a work, I don't think that's got really any legs either. If you go watch that fight, that looked like a straight-up shoot to me. Really did. I would think I have a trained eye on that. I would think you guys have a trained eye on that. None of us have ever called foul ball on what we saw there. We saw two competitors go out compete. Unified rules were followed. Fair fight. I mean, in all, in all truth, we saw a fair fight, didn't we? In addition to that, if those guys did have a level of cooperation and went out there and just did such a good job that they fooled us and we all become marks, okay. But that would then affect Del Rio. That would be both guys' licenses are pulled, not just the guy that went over and the guy that went under. Both licenses pulled. A no contest, a disqualification. This is being called a no decision. No decision, in large part, is a very new term for me. I've heard of no content, of no decision. A decision is not reached. We are not deciding that this guy won or this guy lost or both guys are disqualified. And if this was a worked match, which it did not appear to be, if it were a worked match, that would affect both guys, not just be on Tito's side. And some other guys on the underground have said something half as inqu- uh, eloquent and nowhere near as intelligent as what I just said, but they did bring up the time and they were right to do so. And other guys pushed back and go, well, you know, there's A samples and there's B samples and there's different interpretation and different tests. And maybe it didn't get cleared up and this is being fought out with the doctors. And I hear you on all of that, but November of 2019 versus damn near March of 2020, no way, no way. There's no dispute. There's no back and forth. And that still wanted equal and no decision. That would be a straight up disqualification. That would be a win for Alberto Del Rito or a no contest at best based on the intricacies of the administrative rules of that jurisdiction. Without further research, I couldn't cite for you off the top of my head what that is. So I am left mainly just to bring you the topic that we're going to have some fun with this because something is going to happen. The information is going to come out, but reserve judgment in all fairness, just reserve judgment because there's nothing more damaging or painful than speculation. And if something does come back that kind of just appears to be off and we're going to call it a no decision and nobody's license is even violated here and there's no fines, no, no suspensions, then I think that we're probably all going to learn something. It's largely going to be something a little bit light. And it is in many ways surprising that the Texas Athletic Commission is still looking into such a small event, such a small event from the end of last year. I think they get credit for that. I think think the Texas Athletic Commission has been under a little bit of fire as of late. But the fact that they're showing such a respect to a contest that happened in their jurisdiction, even if it was a contest that nobody watched, wanted to see, or cared about, but it still happened in their jurisdiction, props to them for looking in for it. Deontay Wilder has come out and blamed his performance against Tyson Fury on the fact that the costume he wore to the ring was 40-plus pounds and his legs were tired when he got into the ring. Now, as baffling as that is and as peculiar of a story and as wild of an excuse as that possibly is, I also don't discredit or discount that there's a realness and a truth to it. Look, if you do anything, as a human being, not just an athlete, if you do anything that you are not used to doing, you are going to get a result that you're not used to. Here's an example. If you run all the time, you're a runner, but it's always a flat surface, your legs and body over a very short period of time are just going to become conditioned to that. And you're not going to have that soreness that maybe you had on your first couple of days. That all goes away. But now the same runner, in the same outfit with the same shoes, goes and decides he's going to run stadium stairs. Totally different exercise, totally different soreness that is going to set in. I only bring that to you because while carrying 40 pounds, and 40 pounds is not a whole lot of weight, but who knows how long he had that on? Who knows how long that walk was? I mean, either way, it seems like a little bit of a silly argument, but if this is not a guy who's ever carried around a level of weight before and he then takes it off, yeah, I could see where he's going to have some kind of an effect and it bothers his legs. Let me give you a story. I got a teammate, uh, Terry Sokaju, and Sokaju's first fight in the UFC. 
he used to, Sokiju used to come to the ring in a predator mask. It was this great entrance. He had this long hair that was coming down. He was built like a Greek god. And then he's got this mask on. It was very cool at the time. As simple as it may sound, he was the only guy that was kind of walking to the ring with a mask on type deal. So it helped. It made him stand out. He took it off. He looked the part. It was this great entrance. But in his first time in the UFC, he was going to fight Machida. And Machida on a backstory. By the way, got in like the day before. He had all sorts of travel issues. There's all this stuff against Machida. Sokaju gets ready to walk to the ring. He's warmed up. He's prepared. Everything's ready. Out of absolute nowhere, he pulls this Predator mask like out of the air and puts it on. Well, the mask was basically suffocating him. It wasn't made to wear in that kind of a situation where your heart rate's up and the pressure's up and everything's going on. You got to look around and air's a little bit thin in the back anyway. And he basically can't breathe, but the mask is on and he's making his walk, so he goes for it. I only offer you that story because it is one of these things, and I saw it with my own teammate, where there is some unknowns. What seemed like a really great idea, but you never rehearsed or practiced, can really come back and bite you in the ass. So my question to you guys is, at what point does a ring entrance harm the athlete? And in Sokaju's case, who I'm going to give a pass to because he's my friend and teammate, but I am going to pick on Wilder a little bit. It's kind of a goofy thing to do any kind of a ring entrance, even if it's to offer a level of entertainment. Anything where your face and you're in the business of being recognized, you're in a star-driven business, so anytime you would be on camera but hide the only commodity that you have to sell, which is you, is weird. You don't want to hide your face. There's a reason football players as a whole are very randomly recognized. Very randomly out on the street will somebody just go, oh my God, you're in the NFL and you're so-and-so. It's very rare. Only the ones that really get the media attention. And the reason is they're covered up. Nobody knows what they look like. They got a helmet on and a mask on all time. It's just one of these things that come with the job. Their body looks totally different. They got shoulder pads. I mean, it's just one of these things that comes with the job. If they had it their way, they would have their face out there. They'd be shown. They'd get their their moment in the sun. So for Deontay Wilder to ever walk out and cover up his own face is a little bit weird. But if it's a cool entrance and it's going to make for a great walk and make people want to see you in the future, perhaps there's a long-term play. The problem is when Deontay is trying to add to his show where he's got a built-in purse already, he's kind of breaking the rule of business of don't sell what's already sold. Hey, Deontay, if I'm going to see your cool entrance and see this wild costume that you got, it means I've already pushed the buy button. Just walk out. Get your face time. Don't have 40 pounds on. Don't have this weird, goofy excuse after the fact. But I will tell you, it doesn't make it untrue. It's baffling. I get it. And people are resisting it. I get that too. But it doesn't make it any less true. I had to cut weight one time. I'll personalize this. And there's all sorts of new ways that athletes in combat that have a weigh-in are cutting weight. And they're so much more sophisticated, largely because of Mike Dolce. Mark, Mike Dolce, when he came over from the bodybuilding world to the MMA world, had so many tricks and secrets that really revolutionized the way that guys would pull out that water weight. But this is before all of that, so I'm going off the old school rules of throwing on what's called plastics, putting all my gear on top of that, and running it off. So I end up in a workout room in Las Vegas, and I was looking for the treadmill. Either there wasn't a treadmill, the treadmill was taken, or the treadmill didn't work. I don't know which of the three it was, but I've got no treadmill. The next best thing, and the only other piece of equipment in there, is a stair stepper. Okay, great. We'll use the stair stepper. I use a stair stepper. I've never used a stair stepper. And I will tell you, 40 minutes later, which is how much time I would have put it on the treadmill, 40 minutes later, I can't feel my legs. And what part of my legs I can feel don't feel good. They were heavy and sore, and they hurt, but it was a lesson. I made the weight, but the lesson learned was just prior to a competition, don't do anything with any body parts. Don't work any muscles that are not conditioned that you haven't worked. And yeah, Deontay brings up a weird excuse, and Deontay fired his own coach for throwing in the towel and protecting him, but at the other end, proclaimed why he didn't look good. I feel like those two don't go hand in hand. You know, hey, I was just getting ready to come back. Stop that that big fool. You know what? Tonight kind of was bad for me. I wore that costume out there. My legs were shot. I I just don't know that they go hand in hand. I don't know that they have to. I'm just offering for you as unique of an excuse as this was 
it doesn't make it dishonest. Connor versus Gaethje, this seems to be the rumor that just won't go away. And in many ways, I do feel like an I told you so might be owed my way. Now, I will admit, I didn't tell you it was going to be Connor versus Gaethje. I think I told you it would be Connor versus either Gaethje or Nate Diaz. I was leaning towards Nate Diaz. But what I did tell you and where I was right is that once everybody in leadership gets the calendar out, and realizes this whole Khabib thing versus Connor is a little premature considering Khabib has Tony. Oh, and considering, by the way, that's in April. Oh, and considering, by the way, this whole conversation started in January. We don't even know who's going to win that fight. Let's say it goes to the favorite, to the undefeated Nurmagomedov. Okay. But then Khabib has already told us that he's sitting out Ramadan, which doesn't make him available. I want to say it was until September 13th. That's off the top of my head, but I for sure have the September part right. And that's if you match Khabib and Connor right away. Now, that's all fine and cool in the gang with Khabib. That's the timeline that he laid out. Of course, he's going to like it. That just doesn't work for Connor. Connor's back and busy. Connor's turning his life around. I mean, who, who are we to get in the way of Connor using sport as a way? of turning his whole life around, going to being a, a better person, getting back to his roots. I mean, these are this is a positive story. This is a feel-good story. Not to mention the business element. Look, Connor Mania is real. Connor Mania is alive and well. I was never confident in telling you guys that. Was I confident in telling you Connor was a big deal? Sure I was. But that Connor Mania can stand and live on its own? No, I was never confident in telling you that until after the Cerrone fight. Until after that week and that experience that I witnessed with my own eyes. The reason for that, Connor was in a fight where half the time you didn't know if he was the A side or the B side. I mean, even looking back, was he the A side or the B side versus Jose Aldo? Jose was the champ. He was 10 years undefeated. Connor was the up and comer, but he walked first. Jose walked second. I mean, was he the A side or the B side? Now you go ahead and answer that question, but I would ask you the same question when he went and took on Eddie Alvarez. I realized Connor's star had skyrocketed, and ultimately you're going to say that he was the bigger deal. I get all those things, but I would ask you the same question when he went against Mayweather. That was a really tricky one to answer, isn't it? Connor was the hottest thing in MMA versus the hottest thing, one of the hottest things in all of sport. Not just in, the, in sports, in all of sports. So Connor, my point being, Connor's been in these ma- magnificent, high magnitude, world title, crossover, crazy, extravagant matches. That's not what this was with Cowboy. This had to do with competition. It had to do with respect. It had a lot to do with old school aspects as opposed to the new school aspects that happened in the entertainment era. There was less media, less tours, less of the things you expect with Connor. Oh, and should I mention the fourth biggest gate in history, an absolute sellout, what could only be classified as minutes. By the way, half the arena was Irish people that flew over from another country. Connor is so popular that they are boarding airplanes and flying to a different country to watch him. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Connor mania is real. It's real. And I think that for anybody to suggest that we put that out to September when we have an able, willing, ready participant, I think with a little bit of time to digest and stand back and look at things is going to change their mind. And that's exactly what happened. And I predicted that. So good for me. I'm sure you guys predicted it too, though, in all fairness, right? This is nothing new. Now, whoever gets the Connor fight is getting a very big insult, whether they know it or not. Now, they want that fight. There is some notoriety that comes along with Connor. There's some money that comes along with Connor. There's a main event spot waiting for you that comes along with Connor. There's some things that you can steal from Connor. One thing about this sport that's true, whatever a guy comes in the ring with, if you beat him, you take it all. All the chips are on the table at all times. Doesn't have to be one versus two. It can be one versus 18. 18 beat one, 18 becomes number one. So if Connor goes into this fight as a number one contender and Gaethje takes it from Gaethje just became a number one contender. Now, I understand you have to have the power of the pen, and there's some politics in this space. I'm well aware of those things. But as far as broad strokes and public perception, if Connor is the number one contender and Gaethje gets the jump on him, Gaethje gets to be the number one contender. It's very interesting, particularly if they are going to go and fight at 170 pounds. 
But that's what happened in Connor's last fight, and we were told that that was for a number one contendership at 155. So if that was true then, and it's true now, and maybe it's a thing that's unique to Connor, but we're still discussing Connor. So if we're discussing Connor, who wants Gaethje, by the way, it's at 170. Now, why I say it's an insult is nobody wants to get in the way of Connor versus Khabib. You're just trying to you're trying to serve multiple masters at one time. Okay. You got a hold of the right tool. Sometimes you're just holding it by the wrong end. It's one of those things. You, you got the hammer, but you're swinging the handle. It's, it's one of these things. The reason I say whoever is getting offered the Connor fight is getting insulted is because if we can all agree, and I think that we do, we don't want to disrupt Connor versus Khabib or what could be Connor versus Tony. That means whoever's going to get brought in is getting brought in, at least in theory, to do the J-O-B. And that's okay. That's okay, because you will have your opportunity under the unified rules to flip the script and shove that up everybody's ass. But that's still what it is. And I think as you look at Justin Gaethje, look, I think you want to know the right answer to, well, we got a problem at 155 and we don't know what to do. Anytime you have that, well, what should we do here? And it happens to be at 155. The answer every time without thinking, is Justin Gaethje. You present to me any matchup problem you have at 155 pounds where you have a top guy and you don't know who to put him with. Any problem that you face, the answer is always Justin Gaethje. Nobody will argue. Everybody's happy. Nobody knows what Justin Gaethje's record even is. They don't. He came over at like 15-0 and and then won a fight or two and then lost a fight or two. No one knows. It doesn't matter. He's one of those. It doesn't matter. He could win his last fight, but he could have lost it too. It doesn't matter. He has something he's going to bring, and he brings it very consistently, also known as 100% of the time. It's skill, it's heart, it's guts, it's on the line, regardless of the opponent. He wrestled that same way. He had outstanding wrestling accolades. Quite frankly, when I address it, yeah, you're a good wrestler. That's where it ends. He had great wrestler results. He has some intangibles. He is going to go hard, and he's not going to be intimidated, and he's not going to beat himself. In wrestling, it's more visible than it is in mixed martial arts where a guy beats himself, where a guy goes into a match, he knows he can't win. It's a tournament situation. Let me get out of here. I've got to move on. I'm not getting past this one anyway. Why hang in there and make this a dogfight? The result's going to be the same. So let me just go beat myself and be fresh for my next one. I mean, some of these things like this happen in wrestling, not with Gaethje. You drew Gaethje, you're in a dogfight. End of story. It's just a real consistency that he has. And everybody would like to see Connor fight Gaethje. I think that even if you wanted to be hard on Gaethje and go, hey, you know, he's not quite fast enough to go with Connor. Well, great. If you want Connor to win, great. Go right ahead. Do that fight. If you think this is all about speed, okay, great. Bet on Connor. That's what Gaethje wants anyway. So go ahead and say, go ahead and put Gaethje down 10 different ways if that's what makes you feel good. He's happy to let you. He's just going to stab you in the back as soon as they shut that door. And he's going to do everything that he can to win. I just think that that match works. I also have a little bit of inside information that they were more interested in doing the Nate Diaz fight. I don't have any information beyond that. I would feel very comfortable in speculating to you that Nate is just a little bit tougher to deal with than Gaethje. Nate would love that fight, but Nate's had that fight. Oh, by the way, Nate's had that fight again. And I just don't know that Nate's in the same spot. Nate's in a little different category where he can be a little little harder on you. He's well aware of his worth. He's well aware where a trilogy fight against Connor is going to do. That is going to move the needle just a little bit more, and he'd like a little bit more participation. I'm guessing this for you, but I'm guessing this for you with confidence. Okay, it's called a hypothesis. A hypothesis is a guess based around evidence. So I'm guessing based around evidence known as history, history being the greatest trajectory for the future. When we look at Connor versus Gaethje, I do have to wonder at what weight class that would be. And I think the next thing that we're going to have to do is to get out a calendar and figure out where this is going to go. Because the calendar that has been laid out thus far is full. Calendar is full. So where are these guys going to go? Would we dare make this a co-main event? Could you imagine? That's almost blasphemy. So I guess I would predict for you that all the dates haven't been revealed and something's going to get added. I think it would be very reasonable to assume that that's going to be prior to September, roughly four months. 
which would give Connor an opportunity to compete, become the official number one contender, understand whether that's going to be Khabib or Tony, go into training camp, and prepare. I got to go back to Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury just for a moment, because I had a conversation with Errol today. We were doing Errol and the Bad Guy on ESPN, and the topic came up of, you know, corners not stopping fights, corners stopping fights. What's the rule there, and what do you want to do? Look, I'm not a prude on this in the least. I understand this is a contact sport. I just have always been of the mind when somebody like Deontay Wilder comes out and says, I want to go out on my shield. Now, I'm not totally familiar with that expression. What I've always thought out on my shield means is just out on my own merits. So if I can't defend myself and I can't protect myself, then let him put me away. That's what I, and I think I'm right. I think that's what that expression means. But I do come from you from the perspective that a corner's job, and this isn't just a job of the corner, protect your fighter at all times. It's the first job. It's not one of the rules. It is the first rule. Protect your corner at all times. Protect your athlete at all times. Fighter safety, number one, not strategy, not footwork, not put some ice on a bruise in between rounds or give him some water or give him some instruction. Protect your fighter at all times. First rule. And it does seem to me that as soon as your fighter can no longer win the fight, get him out of there. Nobody loses. Nobody's upset. The guy who wins, Tyson Fury's not upset. You're telling me Deontay's going to be upset that he gets protected and doesn't have to take five more rounds of a beating? where he's already been on the canvas four times, whether two were ruled a slip or not. He's on the canvas four different times. He's not getting off. He's got blood coming out of his ears. Things have gone from bad to worse. And there's still five plus rounds left. When do do we stop the fight? During the eighth? During the ninth? During the 10th? At what point do we stop the fight? How about this? How about you stop the fight as soon as your fighter can no longer win? That's very reasonable. Crowd doesn't go unhappy. Media doesn't go unhappy. The promoter's not unhappy. Nobody's upset. That's what this was about. In case you guys can't figure that out, the commission has stepped in and said you're going to have 12 rounds. If you can't figure this out on your own between you and your teams and you and your opponent, then we'll step in and we'll bring in something called judges. I mean, problem, problem solved. But that's where this has come from. You don't have to go all 12 rounds. And you don't have to wait until the 11th round until you're completely exhausted and you're battered and now you just simply can't get up anymore. As soon as you aren't going to steer that car back onto Main Street, hit the showers. I don't think that there's any cowardness in that. It just seems like that's the game that we're playing. This isn't an L.A. street riot. This is a sanctioned, regulated sport and quite possibly the oldest sport of all time. Wrestling always takes the claim for the world's oldest sport, but it's either wrestling or boxing. Nobody knows. Was the first game ever played where somebody grabbed somebody else? If so, then wrestling's the first sport. Or was the first one where somebody punched the other guy? If it was, then boxing's the first sport. But long before there was bats and balls and fields and courts and referees and umpires, one of those two things happened. So it's either wrestling or it's boxing. I only bring that up because it is just that. It is a sport. It was either the first sport of all time or it was the second sport of all time. It's a very great sport. But nobody has to go out on their shield. You just have to go out and try your level best. But as soon as you get the answer, as soon as there's a conflict and now you've got resolution, you have your answer, you have your decision, feel free to stand up and walk out of the courtroom. There's no shame in that. That's the way this is done. So when you have somebody like Deontay Wilder who fired his coach, I just want to offer you this because his coach did a really great thing. He had heart. He had compassion towards his own athlete. Let me share a story like this. George Foreman, and I shared this with Errol earlier. Errol appreciated that I brought up, told me what a a feel-good story that was. I thought, well, you know what? If it was good enough for Errol Hawani, you guys will like it too. But when George Foreman made his comeback, and he did that at like 45 years old or 47 years old, he went on and captured a championship for Michael Moore at 50 years old. Now, that is factually incorrect, even though the history books will say it's accurate. George Foreman was actually 49 and change. History has rewritten itself to say that he was 50. The point of me telling you that is I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the history of boxing. When George Foreman came back, he picked a guy. because I want you to train me. 
And the guy was very well known for being Muhammad Ali's trainer, but that's not why George wanted him. George wanted him because the guy threw the towel in on Muhammad Ali. And George said, the reason I want you is because you stopped the greatest of all times fight by throwing in the towel. And that means I know I can trust you. And George is right. If you have a corner who's not going to follow the rules, let alone the first rule of protect your athlete, a licensed corner man, if he's not going to follow the rule, the first rule, you can't trust that son of a bitch. You just can't. I wish Deontay had not fired that guy. I wish Deontay had promoted that guy or slipped him a little bonus on the back end. On a human level, that would have been the right thing to do. I'm not going to question Wilder. He's a great fighter, a great athlete, a great champion. And he's very sincere. This wasn't for show. Nobody was supposed to know about this. This was just where he stands and with his mindset. I hope that he rethinks this one. He was protected. The outcome was not changed. The referee was just about to step in and call it a TKO. If the referee steps in and calls it a TKO, ever. Now, this wouldn't pertain to a knockout. Knockout is fast, boom, somebody gets caught, somebody goes down. If there is ever a TKO that the referee has to call a TKO, there needs to be somebody with the commission coming to the back, putting a finger in three-cornermen's chest and saying, how did none of you see what our official saw? How did our official have to stop this fight as your athlete was getting pummeled and none of you said boo? Did none of you have a problem with that position? Did none of you have a problem with the unanswered punches, with the turning of the back, with the ground and pound from a mount, if you want to use an MMA term? None of you thought the fight should be stopped? And our official referee had to call. I mean, those conversations should happen with every TKO in the history of TKOs. It's not just a rule, guys. It's the first rule. All right. I guess this is a good place to call it. I've enjoyed you guys. I think we had a nice fun time this week. Why don't we do it again next Wednesday? Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. Enjoy your weekend. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Have you checked out Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson yet? If not, you got to head on over and you got to see their shows. You got to listen to some of the episodes. Look, Mike pours his soul into conversations with fascinating minds, celebrities and athletes, all in a studio full of smoke along with his comic millennial sidekick, Eben Britton. Kid Dynamite dives into the issues impacting all of us today. The show will change the way you see the world. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, podcastone.com, Apple Podcasts, and many of your favorite podcasting listening apps.